Welcome to the Go and Teach Bible Study program presented by the Monta Vista Church of Christ in Phoenix, Arizona. We want to thank you for joining us today as we examine the truth of God's Word and the answers it holds to life's most important questions. If you have questions about this lesson or would like to study further, please contact us at montavistacoc.com. Now let's open our Bibles and study God's Word together. Good morning and welcome to the Go and Teach radio program sponsored by the Monta Vista Church of Christ. My name is Vernon Judy. I'm a member at Monta Vista and I'll be filling in today on the radio program. As always, the brethren here at Monta Vista, sincerely thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to tune in and to consider with us the Word of God. As always, it is our plea that if you are interested in a personal one-on-one Bible study, please get in contact with us. You can go to our website, montavistacoc.com. And you can contact us and we will meet you any place, anytime, whatever is most convenient and comfortable for you. If you have a Bible handy and you'd care to join me this morning, would you please turn over to John the 8th chapter and find there verse 31. That is John 8 beginning in verse 31. Most of you are familiar with the term, don't shoot or don't kill the messenger. This has been a part of popular culture for quite some time, going all the way back to Shakespeare in the play Anthony and Cleopatra, in which Cleopatra is told that Anthony has married another. Cleopatra threatens to do harm to the messenger, and the messenger replies, Gracious madam, I that do bring the news made not the match. Basically, don't blame me that he's gone and married another, I'm just the messenger. Sophocles in Antigone said, No one loves the messenger who brings bad news. And Freud explained it best when he said that it was a defense of fending off that which is distressing, that which is unbearable. He said that the most classic example of this was the Spanish king Boadil. In 1482, the Catholic monarchs had taken the town of Alhama, and believing that the loss would end his rule, The king took the letters that were dispatched to him and he threw them in the fire and he killed the messenger who brought those letters of bad news. Freud said that the king needed to combat a feeling of powerlessness and by burning these letters and killing the messenger, he was trying to show his absolute power. He was using this as a defense mechanism against something that was distressing, something that was unbearable. Of course, this defense mechanism is readily on display today as it was all those years ago. We do not have to look to antiquity to understand the nature of man. We can look back just a mere 20 years ago or 15 years ago, whatever it was, when Bill Clinton was having a sexual liaison with his intern. Hillary Clinton was asked by Matt Lauer on the Today Show how she could be okay with her husband having this carnal relationship with another woman and She blamed it on a vast right-wing conspiracy. I'm sure she felt very defenseless at the time. And to make herself feel better, she used this defense mechanism to place the blame on those who, who simply brought the news of his extramarital affair to light. We see this theme of killing the messenger on display in many malpractice suits. 
In 2004, when John Edwards was running for the vice presidency, 2020 did an exclusive on him, specifically how he had amassed his great fortune. If you remember, he was a trial lawyer who had made his money representing families of children who had been born with cerebral palsy. Very convincingly, John Edwards argued that cerebral palsy was a result of babies prior to being born not having enough oxygen in their brain, that, that they were oxygen deprived, and that the doctors in these cases should have known to have performed C-sections. If they would have just performed a C-section, the child would have had enough oxygen in the brain and cerebral palsy never would have existed. What was of great interest in this 2020 piece was that it found that 1970, 4% of all births were by C-section. Yet, today, this was in 2004, I should say, 26% of all births were by C-section. Yet, the rate of children born with cerebral palsy had not decreased. Obviously, whether or not a child is born with cerebral palsy is not within the control of a doctor. Yet, when we put ourselves in the shoes of those parents who are given this news, the doctor comes out and says to mom and dad, I'm sorry, but your child has cerebral palsy. Something's wrong with your baby. We put ourselves in the shoes of parents who prayed to God that their children would be born healthy, who when the child was born, they counted all the fingers and all the toes. And they're being given this devastating news. And they're powerless and they have no control over this incredibly unbearable and distressing news about their child. If we put ourselves in their shoes, we understand how they might want to kill the messenger, the doctor who has broken to them this life-altering news. To some degree, all of us use this defense mechanism of killing the messenger. All you have to do is reflect on the times in your life where somebody came and pointed out to you an area that you were deficient in, reprimanded you about something that you were doing incorrectly, maybe you called names, you wished ill will against that person, you thought of all of the deficiencies of that messenger and to negate the reprimand or, or whatever news it was that they were giving to you. You, you destroyed their character in your mind so you wouldn't have to deal with that message. A term for this would be character assassination. And I guarantee if you're honest with yourself, you will know that at some point in your life, you assassinated the character of another person because you didn't care for the bad news of the message that they were relating to you. This need to kill the messenger was literally a desire to assassinate when Jesus was killed by the Jews. If you still have your Bibles open, would you begin reading with me in John 8, verse 31? It says, Jesus therefore was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's offspring and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say, you shall become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. And the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. 
If therefore the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's offspring, yet you seek to kill me, because my words have no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father, therefore you also do the things which you have heard from your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God, this Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. Jesus makes it extremely clear in this set of verses that the Jews were not seeking to kill him for anything that he had done, but merely for the words that he had spoken to them. He says that they were words given to him by the Father. He was a messenger. And they wanted to kill him because his message wasn't what they wanted to hear. If you remember, Jesus was bringing a revolution of faith. By this point in time, the Jews had become a people whose religion was an outward show. All you have to do is read Matthew, the 23rd chapter, to know that this is so. In Matthew 23, Jesus is speaking to the religious rulers of that day, the scribes and the Pharisees. And he calls them a bunch of hypocrites because their religion, their faithfulness was an outward show and inside they were full of, of rottenness. They were dead men inside. He says that they were like whitewashed sepulchers. That they were people who cleaned the outside of the cup, but the inside was full of robbery and wickedness. He said that they tithe, mint, cumin, and dill, but they neglect the weightier matters of the law, such as justice and mercy and faithfulness. He says that for a pretense, they make long prayers so that they can have praise from men that they like to sit in the seats of honor at the banquets. And Jesus is bringing a revolution of faith where he is reminding them that God looks at the heart, that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, that the man who serves in this life will be greater in the kingdom than the one who is served in this life. And more importantly, in John 8, Jesus is telling them that they are enslaved to sin. And they can't handle that. They're puffed up. They're arrogant. They see themselves as the offspring of Abraham. Abraham, to whom God had given the holy promises, the righteous Abraham. And Jesus is telling them that through the law, they have become enslaved to sin. And the truth, the words that he speaks from the Father, is that the only way for man to be free from sin is to abide in his word, for men to become his disciples. And that would be the only way that they can cast off the yoke of slavery from sin. And the Pharisees, the scribes, the Jews couldn't handle it. So they sought to kill him over it. 
And this wouldn't be, of course, the first time that we've seen such an incident in, in the gospel. You may remember in Matthew, the 14th chapter, that Herod has bound and placed into prison John the Baptist because John went and spoke truth to Herod, telling him that it was unlawful for him to have Herodias as his own. Herodias was the wife of Herod's brother Philip. So he took the messenger, John the Baptist, and Herod bound him and threw him in jail. And then if you remember, Herodias's daughter dances before Herod on Herod's birthday. It greatly pleases Herod, and Herod swears an oath to her that he will give her whatever her heart desires. And prompted by her mother, Herodias's daughter requests of Herod John the Baptist's head on a platter. And so John the Baptist was killed because he was a messenger of truth. And Herodias sought to it that the messenger was killed. You may say, I would never act in such a manner. And it's easy for us to say such things because we will never be in the shoes of Herod or of the Pharisees and the scribes. Mentally, we have a way of fooling ourselves into thinking at times that we would not act exactly as other people do or did. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty. If you have your Bible still handy, turn over, if you would, to Matthew, the 23rd chapter. And there, in just a few moments, we're going to begin reading in verse 29, Matthew 23, beginning in verse 29. When I was a child, I can remember a preacher one time talking about uh, King David. And he spoke of him in a manner that was incredibly disrespectful. And he said, I never would have committed the sin with Bathsheba. I never would have acted the way that he acted. And somebody in a Bible class reminded him that God says that David was a man after God's own heart. Not a lot of people referred to in such a manner in the Bible. And uh, pretty arrogant to think that if we were in David's shoes, we wouldn't have committed the same sin. Maybe we wouldn't have. But it's easy for us to say we wouldn't have. After all, we'll never be tempted in the way that David was tempted. Years ago, I heard a man talking about Muhammad Ali. And he was talking about Ali's uh, belief in uh, being a Muslim. And, and the interviewer said, but isn't he a huge hypocrite when you consider the number of children that he has fathered outside of his marriage, the vast numbers of women that he had relations with that were not his wife. And his friend said, you know, he was wrong to do those things, no doubt about it. But it's easy for us to judge how wrong he was in it and say we would never do that because we'll never be tempted the way Muhammad Ali was tempted. None of us are going to go to our hotel room at night and have uh, women with no clothing on, uh, waiting just in our closet or already in our bed. Women will never throw themselves at us the way they did Muhammad Ali. And when we talk about King David, it's easy for us to condemn him and say we never would have acted in the same way because we will never have the power that King David had. We'll never have it within our ability to have whatever our heart so desires and have the need to discipline ourselves the way David had to discipline himself and tell himself no. 
I've heard many people say that they never would have denied Jesus the way that Peter denied Jesus. Yet, what's ironic about that statement is that Peter himself told Jesus that, Surely, Master, I will not deny thee. But he did. People talk about Peter having little faith. You may remember that Peter, when Jesus told him that he could walk on the water with him, that Peter took a step off the boat and then becoming fearful, he fell and Jesus pulled him out of the water. And people say, oh, Peter of little faith. The question should be, how many of us would have taken that first step out of the boat? I don't think I would have. And if you're honest with yourself, you'll probably know that you would not have either. So it's easy for us to say that had we been Jews in the day of Christ, we would not have killed Jesus. The irony is that in John 8, Jesus says, you're going to kill me. It's ironic because these Jews say that had they been alive in the times of their fathers, the prophets would not have been killed. If you have Matthew 23, verse 29 still open, you can read with me as it says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, If we had been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves. For you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How will you escape the sentence of hell? Therefore, behold, I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, so that upon you may fall the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Jesus is saying, fill up the cup of your iniquity. You're getting ready to kill me, and I'm the greatest of all prophets. You say, had you been alive at the time of your fathers, you wouldn't have participated in the shedding of blood, and what I'm telling you is you would have, because you're going to kill me. Not only that, I'm going to send righteous men. I'm going to send prophets. I'm going to send wise men. I'm going to send some scribes. Some of them you're going to crucify, and some of them you're going to scourge in your synagogues, and you're going to persecute them. It's not going to be good enough for you to chase them out of your town, but you're going to go from city to city seeking after them. So friends, when we talk about the Jews seeking to kill Jesus because they wanted to kill the messenger, let us not be so arrogant to say that had we been alive at the time of Jesus, we would not have participated in the shedding of his blood. Just as the Pharisees, we testify this against ourselves, that when we have tasted the heavenly gifts, when we have been enlightened by the words, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we fall away from the grace of his glory, that we crucify him again and put him to an open shame. Hebrews, the sixth chapter, verses four through eight. Abraham Lincoln, when his wife, Mary Todd, and other members of his cabinet would 
criticize those of the South. He would be quick to remind them that Southerners were who they were if they had just been born in a different part of the country. So our responsibility is to protect ourselves against this natural desire on our part to kill the messenger. The next time somebody shares with us the words of God and they indict us in how we live or how we act, we need not kill the messenger, but instead be like those in Berea in Acts, the 17th chapter in verse 11, when it says that they were noble-minded because they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether or not these things were so. That's what we should do, friends. That's what we have to do. We need to be noble-minded like those in Berea. Instead of getting upset with the messenger, hear that message out, search the scriptures to see whether or not those things are so, and conduct ourselves accordingly. Otherwise, we will be like the Galatians. In Galatians 4, verse 16, Paul asks of them, Have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? Let's not make the messenger of truth our enemy. That's, that's our natural desire. That's what we're going to want to do. You know, years ago, I was at a church where uh, the guy that was the preacher there, he, he went to a woman whose son was showing very effeminate qualities. He was maybe 11 or 12 at the time. And he said to this woman, I have great concern for your son. He's showing these effeminate qualities. You need to get him before a psychologist or a psychiatrist, somebody that can, can help him while he is young. Otherwise, when he grows up, I'm, I'm afraid that you, know, you will have a son who is a, a practicing homosexual. Instead of taking a step back and looking at the truths of her son's life and his mannerisms and how he comported himself, she made the messenger her enemy. She ran that preacher down to every member of that congregation. She did everything she could to drive him out of town, and she was in many ways successful with it. Fifteen years later, her son left the church and became an open, practicing homosexual. The preacher simply gave her that message in a desperate desire to be of assistance to help not only her, but more importantly, to save the soul of her son. And she made the messenger her enemy. People in society do this all the time with the gospel today. Society says that those who believe in Jesus are a bunch of ignorant, inbred hicks who don't understand science. And unfortunately, too many people believe them. You know, mob mentality <clears throat> is, is a human desire on our part. We seek it. When I go to the airport, to a carnival, to whatever it may be, and I see long lines, I very quickly search for an alternative because through the years I have learned that when people see a long line, somehow we're naturally programmed to think that we should just get in that line, that obviously that's the right way to go because that's where all the people are. 
And it's not always so, but I've learned that many times there are alternatives and I don't have to wait in line as long as they do because I, I don't follow after the crowd. Jesus, in Matthew, the seventh chapter, verses 13 and 14, tells us that broad is the path that leads to destruction. Narrow is the gate, narrow is the path that leads to life, and few are they who find it. So when Christians are being ridiculed, when messengers of God's word are are having their characters attacked by the world, maybe it's not such a bad thing. When you see a church that's huge, it doesn't mean that that is where you should be. Nothing attracts a crowd like a crowd. And Jesus says that life isn't where the crowd is. Friends, hope that in your life you seek to never kill the messenger of God's word, but rather seek out his word and be as the noble-minded Bereans. Search it out to see whether or not the things that you hear are so. Thank you for joining us today. To hear this program again, please visit our website at montavistacoc.com. If you're in the Phoenix area, come visit us at the Montavista Church of Christ. We're located at 2202 North 40th Street. We have Bible classes for all ages each Sunday morning at 9.30 and again on Wednesday night at 7. For more information about the Montavista Church of Christ or to request a personal Bible study, please go to montavistacoc.com. Amen.